0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Church Podcast. My name is Joe and I'm part of the team here. And I want to tell you that we believe you can tell a better story. We design content with you in mind. And today you're going to be hearing a great message about how you can take one more step in following Jesus. Every single Sunday, join us 9 a.m. and 1045 in the room. Let's get into our message of hope today. Good morning, Active Church, how are you? Great to see you this morning. Glad to have you in the room and glad to have those watching online. It's such a gift to have you a part of the story that God is writing here at Active Church. And if this is your first Sunday with us, my name is Mike and I serve on the team here at Active. I want to invite you to stop by Guest Central and if you're watching for the first time online, you can always go to our website. There is a get Get started, get connected tab that you can click on and you can let us know that you're watching and we would love to help you take next steps, whether you're on the line online or you're here in the room. I want to pray some words over us today and then we'll dive into the story of God together. And Heavenly Father, we are grateful for a place to gather. We're grateful for a space to be able to figure things out and we are honored that you are a part of our story, that you have invited us into a better story, that you're doing a good work in us, whether we've been doing this for a long time or this is our first time in a long time. Wherever we find ourselves on this faith spectrum, God, I pray that you would challenge us and convict us and inspire us and transform us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. It was in the 13th century that St. Francis of Assisi announced that one night in a dream, he said that Jesus spoke to him. Now, if you aren't new to this, that might sound a bit creepy. And even if you aren't new to this and you've been following Jesus for a while, that might sound a bit interesting to you. But St. Francis said, I had a dream and I felt like Jesus just showed up in my dream. And he said three words to me, rebuild my church. And St. Francis said, because of those words, I felt a conviction, a call, an invitation to do the work that Jesus has created me to do. And the reason he felt that this was so important during that time and the reason he believed that God spoke to him in that dream was because the church in the 13th century was dealing with a lot of disrepair. It was dealing with a lot of leadership issues, failures and abuses that weren't addressed, that were swept under the rug, that were ignored. People were harmed and hurt. They were dealing with politics, getting involved in the church. St. Francis said it felt more like a political rally than it did talking about the kingdom of God. And so he felt a stirring in his heart to rebuild the church, and he believed that Jesus had invited him to do that. You know what's interesting about the time in St. Francis's world and how the church looked? I think a lot of what he talked about, we could talk about today, right? There's stories after stories of disrepair. We've heard stories of leaders who have failed we've heard stories of abuse that has been spoken about or hasn't been spoken about but it's starting to bubble to the surface and if we're honest we could look at a lot of churches across our country and we could see that they feel a bit more like a political rally than they do actually promoting and making people aware of the kingdom of God and so this stirring in Saint Francis could be something that you feel Like, wouldn't it be great if we could rebuild the church and we could have it look more and sound like Jesus, like the first church, like the first Christians. And the reason why we feel that desire, that longing, that need is because we know that when the church gets things right, it actually benefits our nation, right? I think all of us would agree that it feels like we're more divided than we've ever been. It feels like people are more angry than they've ever been. And we're wondering what to do about it. Not just rebuild our church, but like we look at our country and we're like, what if, what if we could rebuild our country as well? And then we've taken steps to do that. And I think our intentions have been pure. I think our intentions have been good, but I think our intentions have to be evaluated through what has actually become about our results. And I think for a lot of us, we could admit that especially in the last three years, the things that the church have participated in hasn't really helped our nation to become any better at all. Author and speaker and pastor Andy Stanley actually put it this way. He said, Christians have attempted to bring about change in our nation through a variety of means, We've prayed and we've protested. We've boycotted brands, bands, and Disneyland. We've posted and we've tweeted. We've put in yard signs and we've waved signs on street corners. Basically, we've appropriated the techniques used by non-Christian folks on our side as well as the folks on the other side. Their methods have become our methods The way that they broadcast their convictions is how we broadcast and market ours. And all of it would be fine if Jesus had left it up to us to determine how to advance his movement, his kingdom, to further his kingdom, to represent his ecclesia, which is the gathering, the church. But he didn't. Jesus left us with explicit instructions. We've been in this series called Verses and we've been talking about how there is a battle within that needs to win and we've proposed two things that are at tension with each other inside of us. And we've been talking about how, even if it's clear, it's not easy to make the decision. And when it's not easy to make the decision, sometimes we struggle with what decision to actually make. And we wanna honor God in those decisions. But sometimes when that tension arises, we're not sure what to do. Today, I wanna talk about the tension between our kingdom and God's kingdom. And to be clear, uh, when I talk about our kingdom, I'm talking about our country. And when I'm talking about God's kingdom, I'm talking about his church. And I want to talk about the instructions that Jesus left us with. But more importantly, I want to talk about what you are willing to do with those instructions. What am I willing to do with those instructions? What are we willing to do with these instructions. Because here's what I have learned, and maybe you've learned this as well, especially in the last three years. When we prioritize one kingdom over the other, it influences how we speak to each other. It shapes how we interact with each other. It helps us or leads us in a certain posture in life. And the thing that has been affirmed for me over and over and over again is when we prioritize the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God, we become the best people for our country because we are prioritizing something that's bigger and that's better because it's God's. And I think sometimes when we wrestle with these questions, we get really, really unsettled about where we're going to land. And I think that that's a really appropriate place for us to be today because Jesus has communicated very clearly about what it, what it means to follow him and what it means to be a part of his kingdom in his church. So today I wanna talk about his instructions. I wanna tease them out for us. And then I wanna invite you to consider what Jesus has commanded. Because you have that opportunity, you have that right to consider what Jesus has commanded. But before we get there, I wanna say one thing to you. I do have an agenda today. I have a goal today. And I'm gonna let you know what it is right from the start. My goal, my agenda is the same goal and agenda that I have every single week, that I have the privilege of standing on this platform. And it's this, I wanna inspire you to follow Jesus. I wanna inspire you to follow Jesus. I want to inspire you to follow Jesus. Are you with me? Do you hear me? And I'm saying that because you have a political perspective, you have a political worldview, and there may be some phrases and some words that I use today, and your immediate assumption is going to be this. Oh, there he goes. Mike's trying to pull us to the left or oh there he goes mike's trying to push us to the right or mike wants us to be more liberal or mike wants us to be more conservative or mike wants us to sit right in the middle and be a moderate and when you have those thoughts and when you are tempted to talk about those thoughts with those that are with you today i want to be very clear my goal and my agenda is to inspire you to follow jesus and As long as I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Active Church, we will use this platform to speak about Jesus. And often there may be times where we address what we see in our culture, but the question we will always ask is, how do I follow Jesus in amongst all of this chaos and in amongst all of this mess? And as I look at what's happening in our country, the divisiveness and the anger, how do I follow Jesus in all of this? And no matter who walks out on this platform, That will always be the agenda. That will always be the goal. And so if you're tempted to go, there he goes, I want to invite you to pause and remember that my goal and my objective today is to inspire you to follow Jesus because this conversation can rile us up and we can begin to assume things about each other that is not good filling the gaps between what is and what should be and assuming that this is what's taking place. And I'm believing that there should be nothing off limits and we should talk very honestly about what Jesus has invited us into and what it means for our world, what it means for our country, what it means for our city and what it means for us. And so I wanna start with the instructions that Jesus left us with. And John, one of the disciples wrote these instructions down. And it's found in his letter, John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. If you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. If you're watching or you're here in the room, the verses will be on the screen for you as well. Jesus is at a meal with his first followers. It's the Passover meal. And they're celebrating the reality of God rescuing the Israelites from Egypt centuries before this moment. And in this moment, Jesus actually begins to pivot some of the language. They're talking about how God brings freedom and how God brought freedom from slavery, from Egypt for the Israelites. But then Jesus begins to speak about a greater freedom that will be found in a death, his death and through a resurrection, his resurrection. It's actually where communion comes from. Jesus is at this table and it's at the end of this meal. Jesus shares these words with the disciples. A new command I give you. A new command. Only God gives commands. Jesus is giving a command. This is Jesus's way of saying, hey, by the way, if you've missed everything up until this point, God is here, I am him and I'm giving you a new command, a new direction, a better story and here it is, love one another and many of the disciples around the table probably went, that's beautiful, that's great. Many of us would say, that's beautiful, that's great and we are going to love one another and Jesus says, shh, 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 don't talk. I have more that I wanna share with you. I'm not leaving this up to you to define. I'm going to define it for you. He says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So now it's not up to what I define as love or what I shape and dictate and determine as love. It is all shaped by what Jesus has done for us. And in verse 35, he says, and by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if if you love one another the way that I have loved you. Everyone will know that there is something different about those Christians in the way that they love. And it's not defined by us or by them or by culture or by our world. It's defined and shaped by what Jesus has done for us. And just in case these first disciples weren't exactly sure what this love looks like because they were not on the other side of the cross and the resurrection like you and like me, Jesus actually gave them a really great example of what love looks like in very tangible, practical ways just a few minutes before at this meal. And John actually wrote about it in verse four of John chapter 13. Jesus got up from the meal he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that wrapped around him. Now, this was not unusual for their time, very unusual for ours. During their time, this was normally what the slaves and the servants would do. And they would wash your feet because you walked around with makeshift sandals and the roads were dirt. And so your feet would become disgusting, let alone the smell that would be carried by your feet wherever you went. Some of you have children. You know exactly what I'm talking about after they play soccer on a Saturday, right? You hose them down before they come into the house, don't you? And then you make them take a bath or a shower just to be sure, right? And so here is Jesus at this meal and all of the disciples would have expected to have their feet washed, but they weren't washed by a servant or a slave and nobody else would do it because it was beneath them. But during the meal, Jesus gets up, takes off his jacket, wraps a towel around his waist and begins to wash the feet of the disciples, something that was very beneath everybody in that time, but was not beneath the Son of God. Did I ever tell you about the time that I had my feet washed in the Stater Brothers parking lot? It was about a year ago, a former student of mine who loved our church and loved the opportunity to find Jesus at our church, invited me to go to lunch. And before we went to lunch, he asked if he could wash my feet. And I said, because I'm a great Christian, how about we eat lunch first, hoping he would forget that that's what he asked me to do. But during the lunch, he kept bringing it up and he kept bringing it up. And he said that the Lord had spoke to him and said that he wanted to wash my feet because he wanted to honor me and honor our church for the way that we had loved him. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's also incredibly, incredibly weird. And so finally I said yes because he kept asking, he kept asking, and he kept asking. And so in the middle of the Stater Brothers parking lot, here I am sitting in his truck, two dudes, and he's washing my feet. And I I tell you, isn't it weird, isn't it interesting whenever you're in like an awkward moment or you don't want people to see you, you see everybody that you have ever, ever made friends with that since you've been born, they walk by in that moment and they're like, hey Mike. And then they stop and look and like, What's what's happening here? Do you need to be rescued? Like, tap your head if you need to be rescued here, right? It's weird, but it was a way of honoring me and our church and the way that we invested in him and his family. It's weird for our culture. It wasn't weird for their culture. And Jesus actually invites the disciples to do as he has done, I don't think that what Jesus is saying here is that everybody who has ever existed needs to wash the feet of everybody that they're around. I mean, you can, but I think that Jesus is teaching us something more important in this moment. When you wash the feet of someone, you are choosing a posture of service to another. And when you wash the feet of someone, you have to be close to them. And when you wash the feet of someone, you are close to all of them, not just the beautiful parts. You're by their feet. I married a woman who can't stand anybody's feet. Now, we've been married for over 20 years, and in that time, my feet have been able to get at least like a couple inches closer to him in those 20 years, but it's still something that she will not have, and if you walk up to her today, if you're here on campus, and you try to touch her with your feet, you are kicked out, okay? I just want you to know, just, I'm kidding, but feet are, are not things that we get excited about, right? Especially dirty, gross, smelly feet. But I think the point that Jesus is teaching here is that when we, when we draw close, we get to know their story. When we draw close, we get to know about their journey and what brought them here. When we draw close, we get to discover who they actually believe that they are. And here's why this is so appropriate for us in a very divided and angry world, in a very politically divided and angry world. When we draw close, we actually learn two things that are really important for you and for me and for the one that we're with. The first thing that we learn is this, that every political disagreement is usually fueled by divergent life experiences. Every political disagreement that we have been involved with with another person or we have seen with two people arguing, whether it be social media or in public, wherever it might be, around the dinner table, wherever you are. Every political disagreement is usually fueled by divergent life experiences, meaning this, that they are making decisions based upon what they have experienced since they were born. And so are you. They are aligning with certain policies because of what they have been through. And so do you. There's a story behind every action, every belief, every decision, and every vote. And that's why they're doing this. And can I just be really clear? They're not voting differently than you because they have a lower IQ than you do. And isn't that the case for a lot of conversations, especially in the political world, that we immediately assume that they're just stupid, that they're just dumb, that they're just foolish. And not only do we land in that area, we actually assume that they aren't as full of integrity as we are, and they actually lack character. So not only are they dumb, but they lack character and their people that shouldn't be given the privilege to vote and that becomes a part of our narrative and that becomes a part of our assumption and when we do that to each other you know what we're doing we're doing unto another that we hope they would not do unto us But often, if you listen to conversations, and maybe you have participated in these conversations, we immediately begin to dehumanize and dismiss, you're stupid for voting that way. You are not smart for thinking that way. You must lack character and not love Jesus because of the way that you have participated in the political world. But when we draw close, what we realize is that is influenced, their voting record, their policies, their political persuasions is influenced by life experience. They didn't have it the way that you had it. They didn't see it the way that you saw it. I remember in eighth grade, the first time I was in public school ever in my life. I remember being in a class and it was a class about the family and some biology conversations and the teacher at the beginning of the class asked the students to raise their hand if they had their original this was the question do you have your original mom and dad in your home right now and I went yeah and I was the only one in the class and I remember I went home as an eighth grader and went that was weird mom that I that, that what I have experienced growing up was different than all of them. And we had a great conversation about how that's the world we live in. When we draw close, we begin to realize that there's a story behind why people do what they do. Second thing that we realize is that we aren't supposed to agree on every single issue with every single person. And the reason why that's the case is because... Jesus didn't agree with every single person on every single issue. In fact, Jesus disagreed with every person that he encountered in life. And they disagreed with him. And if having a worldview that aligns with Jesus was a prereq to following Jesus, then none of us would be able to follow Jesus. What I love about Jesus is that Even if he disagreed with somebody, he used that moment with that somebody to teach them something. He always leaned in and he always loved them because Jesus did not ask us to agree with each other. Jesus commanded us to love one another. That's the command that you and I would ask this question. What does love require of me based upon what Jesus has done for me. It's influenced by what Jesus has said and done to me. My job is not to convince you. My job is to love you. And I'm convinced that when I love and when you love the way that Jesus has loved us, that that actually leads people into a better story, not just convinces them that there's a better story, but allows them to commit to a better story. Friends, we can disagree politically and we can love each other unconditionally, but we have a hard time doing that. And if you're a Christian in this room and a Christian watching online, We have to ask the question, why is it so hard for us to do this? And maybe it's hard because humanity is real and they're as human as you and me and sin is a reality and terrible unwise decisions can take place. But what I see from Jesus is that he's invited us into a better story and this is the tension that we wrestle with. What kingdom will we prioritize? Ours or his? We can disagree politically and love each other unconditionally and friends if if we do this it would be unprecedented meaning that there aren't many people that actually do this really, really well. Friends, the more politically and culturally diverse we become, the harder it will be to love one another, which will cause our light to shine brighter in this world because, friends, nobody loves anybody that's different than them. I mean, if you look at our, our, our culture right now, you and I get to choose the identity that we want to live in for this season of life or for the rest of our life. We can, we can define ourselves however we wanna define ourselves. And then our culture has built in groups of people that will affirm whatever identity that you have selected. And the reason why we go to those built in groups is because we want to be accepted in whatever decision we have made. And listen, acceptance is good, but love is better. And here's where love gets better. In the church at large and this church called Active Church. We have all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of political persuasions And we gathered here today, not because we agree or align on everything. We gathered here today for one reason and one reason only. There is a God who loves us unconditionally. And that is what we long for. That is what we want. This is so unique in our world. You are so unique in our world. Because this doesn't happen. Most often we gather together with the people that see the world the way that we see the world and identify the way that we identify. And here's what's interesting about gathering as the church of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus, we actually have come and we're wearing a unique identity. And get this, it's not an identity that you and I have decided to choose to wear. It's an identity that was gifted to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from our heavenly father. And that's what brings us together. And that's what unites us. And that's why Jesus says, we are invited to do what love requires because we have been loved by God. You are loved by God. And so you are invited to do what love requires. I am loved by God. Shocking, I know I'm loved by God. And I'm invited to do what love requires. Republicans are invited to do what love requires. And Democrats are invited to do what love requires. Liberals and conservatives and moderates are invited to do what love requires if they have trusted their life to Jesus and are following Jesus. Jesus followers always choose to love first because God loved first. Now you might be asking the question because this is where I go. Okay, (laughs) that's cute. So how do we do that? Well, here's here's what's great about the scriptures is that these are real people who lived in real times, not maybe our time, but they lived in times filled with tension, struggle and issues. One of those writers of the scriptures is the prophet Micah who lived in a very similar time that you and I live in today. A lot of division, a lot of anger. A lot of what maybe you would call ungodliness or unrighteousness. And Micah actually writes about what to do in moments like that. He addresses the tension in a beautiful way. And it's, it's probably something that if you've been a part of the church for a while, you have heard. If you haven't, it's, it's one of the most beautiful invitations of all of the scriptures. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He writes this. He being God has shown you, O mortal. Just a reminder of who you are. You're created by God. You're a human who is loved by God, but you are not God. And you're not always right. And that there is a better way. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And then he gives you some instructions. He says to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Three things. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Let's talk about those three things for a moment. Acting justly is choosing to live a life that is upright. Instead of a life that is up tight. Could I just, as a parent, two parents, parents, if Your politics is the number one conversation that comes out of your mouth most often with your kids. Your kids will want to have nothing to do with you eventually. And you might think that you're raising them right. No, the the best way to raise your children, the best way for me to raise my children is in the way of Jesus. And I wanna live an upright life, not an uptight life. Here's, Here's the difference. Morally good people are people that inspire us. Morally strict people are people that disappoint us. Morally good people go, whew, what is it about them that captures my attention and makes me want to be around them even when we disagree? And the answer is found in what they're doing to express love. They're asking, what does love require? Morally strict people those are people whose heart has not been changed by our heavenly father. They just like rules and they like laws. But as we've learned through the scriptures, as we've learned from the history of humans, laws don't do anything to change the hearts of men and women. Morally, good people are people whose hearts have been softened by the God who loves them first. Morally strict people just want everybody to be obedient. And I don't know if you've recognized this or not, but there are some people that do not believe in Jesus or follow Jesus. And so why would we expect them to be obedient to the commands of Jesus? Morally good people inspire and morally strict people, they disappoint us. Micah says, live in such a way that captures the attention of the ones you love in your home and the ones you love Love outside of your home. Second thing that he says is to love mercy. Mercy is undeserved favor. You received it and you didn't deserve, deserve it. You didn't earn it, but you are invited to love that. Instead of watching people get what's coming to them, we are to celebrate when mercy is extended instead because that's what we want for our life because it's undeserved favor. A couple years ago, there was a new family here at Active Church and they'd been coming for a couple of weeks and the husband reached out and said, Mike, could we take you to breakfast? We'll buy. And I said, I'm in if you're buying, this is awesome. And so we went to breakfast, great conversation, built a good friendship, but it was at that breakfast that they did something really interesting and unique and shocking. Halfway through the breakfast, they said, Listen, one, one Sunday morning, we heard that you and your wife are fans of Jerry Seinfeld. You like the TV show, and you you have seen him live a couple of times, and, and that's awesome. And then they slid an envelope across the table. By the way, I've always wanted to be a part of a conversation where someone slides an envelope across the table. I opened up the envelope, there were two tickets to see Jerry Seinfeld live. And I was shocked. I was blown away, I didn't even know what to say. I, I, was, I was speechless and I speech for a living. I didn't know what to say to them. And it all stemmed from them hearing me say out loud that I love Jerry Seinfeld. So just for clarity, I love the angels, I love the 49ers, <laughs> I would love to travel to New York and I'd love to go to Italy. I'm just throwing it out there, all right? Because you never know. But what a gift it was. And now this couple and this family have become a part of our family at Active and friends of ours. And that's mercy. I'm shocked, I'm moved, I'm grateful. And that's what we're invited to love is mercy. Instead of seeing them get what they deserve, we actually cheer and celebrate and pray for and hope for mercy to win because mercy triumphs over judgment. And then the third thing that Micah says is that we would walk humbly with your God. Humility is found when we intentionally put others first. Now, remember when I said at the beginning of this message that my goal is to inspire you to follow Jesus and that it would be easy for you to assume that I'm trying to get you to lean in a certain way. Now's the time to put that into practice, okay? Because I wanna talk about what it might look like for us in real life, to put others first. And what I've discovered is that, especially if you are familiar with the scriptures, we will hear a statement politically and we can defend it biblically, no matter what the statement is. And so today is not to proof text things. Well, this verse says, and that verse says, today is to ask the question, what does love require of me? And when you look at our culture, there are a lot of things that we get angry at and we get divided over and rightly so. And so I wanna take on one of those major issues and ask the question, what does love require of us? You ready? For the last 60 years in our country, the most prominent debate between two groups of people have been pro-choice and pro-life doing okay (laughs) truth is is that many of us will align with a political party based upon their position or the policies that they have created but the question that we have to ask ourselves is what does love require of us and here's what I've learned and maybe you've learned this as well love requires that you prioritize the person over the policy The person over all policies, the person over any sort of party position, which means this, that love requires that you and I as followers of Jesus value all life, including life of the unborn. A life where the heart starts beating after 22 days after fertilization, a life where the brain spinal cord body parts start to develop after the fifth week a life where the writer of the psalm says that god has formed you fearfully and wonderfully in your mama's womb remember people over policy we're not done Love also requires that you value the life of the one who is carrying the baby in her womb as well. We value and love the woman who may not be able to afford the child, who may be in a desperate situation and is afraid of what's next and is considering her options. A life that maybe has suffered abuse at the hands of another and the result is a baby inside of her. Followers of Jesus care about every single life. And when you choose one over the other, you might have to ask the question, am I following Jesus? because both have value and are dignified and are holy and precious in God's sight. Even if they make a decision that you think is awful. What does love require? It's easy when we talk about the people in our circle of influence. It's much more difficult when we start talking about things that are like, you know, real life. And when we post and we throw out our opinions and we stomp our feet, I don't think that's what love requires. Micah says, we act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And maybe you're asking these questions, but Mike, what if they decide to terminate the pregnancy? Do what love requires. Mike, what if, what if they say it's just a clump of cells and it's not a human? Do what love requires. Mike, what if they are trying to take away or have taken away my right to choose? Do what love requires. Mike, what if I don't like what you're saying this morning? Please do what love requires. Do you see how powerful and unprecedented this really is? My palms are sweaty because I'm nervous. But this is the way of Jesus and it's why we prioritize his kingdom over every other kingdom. By the way, could we, since we're talking about politics, can we talk about those who are political leaders? Some of us believe that we can push pause on love during political seasons and we can say whatever we wanna say about them and treat them however we wanna treat them. In fact, this was the posture of the people who went to Timothy's church in the city of Ephesus. And Paul wrote to Timothy to address some of the issues that they were facing. Here's what he said, I'm writing you to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God, pray for all men and women with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion and pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. That we Pray for those with political power asking God whatever decisions they decide to make, whether we agree or not. May we, as the people of God, continue to faithfully and courageously follow you and ask the question What does love require of us in our freedom, and if our freedom begins to get taken away? Question. Does a vulgar phrase disguised as a cheer about our president help us to do what love requires? You wanna know why your kids may not vote the way that you vote? Because you may have decided to express your frustration about the current president in a way that's covered up but is really vulgar. Does talking about each other And dismissing one another and calling each other names, help us to do what love requires. These are the questions that Paul is presenting to Timothy and he's presenting to you and he's presenting to me. It is pleasing to our God, our savior to pray for them. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. awfully quiet. The poet Maya Angelou once wrote this. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will not forget how you made them feel. And I wonder if there are those who have decided to choose to walk away from church or to walk away from faith or to walk away from Jesus. Because the people of God who have surrendered their life to his son who loved us first have decided to love when they feel like it, when it aligns with their beliefs, when it fits their narrative and have ignored maybe the people and have decided to prioritize the policies. I want my three kids. I want your kids. I want the ones you teach. I want the ones you lead. I want the family you love. I want them. I long for them. I pray for them to follow Jesus. And I just think that Jesus is onto something When we actually ask the question, what does love require? Instead of us going, here's how I think everybody should behave, and here's how everybody should vote, and here's how everybody should align. Listen, you can have your political opinions, but the thing that should be prioritized, no matter what you do, is that you should be motivated by what love requires. You can run for office, you can be a part of the political structure, and the thing that should motivate you is to do what love requires. Because when Jesus is Lord, that's how The followers of Jesus live every single day in season and out of season, in political seasons and in outside of political seasons. There's a tension between our kingdoms and God's kingdom. And I always, always want to submit and surrender to the way of the kingdom of God every single time. And when I don't, I want to repent because I don't want people to vote the way that I vote, even though the way that I vote, I think is good. I don't want people to vote the way that you vote, even though the way that you vote, if it's different than me, then it's probably not good. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I want people, I want you, I want my kids, I want your kids, I want your spouse, I want your family. I want us to follow Jesus and do what love requires so that the world around us would not become better because our guy or our girl got elected, but that they would become better because they now call the deity that we read about in scriptures, who he actually is, our heavenly father. Thanks for listening today to the Active Church podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message of hope. Stay connected with everything happening around Active on our social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you want to know more information about Active Church, check out our website. We hope to see you soon, 9 a.m., 1045, every single Sunday.